0: Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. On Sunday night, we are here to talk about Real Madrid's performance over Sevilla. uh, In what was a feel-good victory, some nice energy at the Bernabeu, people went home happy. And to help me break it down, as always, is Om Arvind. Om, how are you doing? I'm doing good considering that,
1: you know, second game in a row where we've beaten a pretty good opponent um I I think some people pointed out Sevilla's on a bad run of form I think that's true but there's still a quality opponent um no way we could have gone into that game taking it for granted and now we're in the top three so I feel pretty good about it I think it was a solid performance maybe not as good as everyone wants to say but I think it's just excitement right like it's been a long time since we've seen not only one game good performance but two games in a row that's that's pretty novel at this point in the season
0: well I was uh, it's it's almost it's funny because it was like going into this game I did feel and part of this is is because of the recent history between Real Madrid and Sevilla where Real Madrid have been struggling at the Sanchez Pijuan at home for whatever reason Sevilla just don't seem to be themselves I think I was at this one. I was at this game. I was also at the game where Real Madrid hosted Sevilla last year, I believe it was. Was that the one where it was like 7-3, I think? And Atrap had a great game in that game on the right flank. Right. I believe that was last year. We tend year. to
1: crush Sevilla at home. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and so I wasn't... I would... And again, maybe like this is like rightfully or wrongfully or whatever. It's just an assumption I had because of the recent history between the two teams in the Burnabout. Um, I wasn't going to be surprised either way. I had a feeling that maybe Real Madrid might churn out, like, this performance like they did against Valencia. Or, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if they win this marginally, if they win by, like, three or four goals. I wouldn't have been surprised if they lost either. And then, as, like, the first half you're watching it, um, you saw a lot of good things happening. I think there was two, two things I noted. One was within the first 30 seconds when we give the ball away. And then Ramos has an important intervention to make sure, like... Otherwise, it was almost a situation like Sociedad, where we give the ball away and then concede a penalty. Um, Ramos had a great intervention within 30 seconds, and he had a great game overall. And then there was a there was another instance where Vinicius seemed to have got, gotten fouled. When I saw the replay, I don't know if he did. I don't think he did. And then we try to counter-press them, and then they break free, and then Escudero has a great chance to make it 1-0. Other than right. that, other than right. those two moments that I noted, um, I thought the defending was good the Ceballos, I thought was tremendous off the ball um and I thought Reguilon Ceballos, and Ramos basically had that right flank covered where where Sevilla tried to go to a lot with with Navas and Sarabia who Sarabia was ha, has been poor um they they kind they kind of were able to sub- subdue Sevilla in a lot of ways in the first half and then obviously the second half we'll talk about it but um I thought, oh, I was, I was also concerned about where the goal would come from. I, although I saw some good things brewing in the first half, I, still, I was still worried about, does this goal come or not? Who, it, who is it that's going to get the goal? I did think about it, actually. I'm not even trying to, like, you know, it's not even in hindsight. Actually, at the time, I thought it probably might have to come from midfield somewhere. Um, and if they don't get the goal... I think like within the first twenty minutes, I thought of the second half. I thought maybe the Bernabeu starts getting restless, the pressure mounts, and then Sevilla get a a stupid goal like in the ninetieth minute. That also crossed my mind. So I'm all over the place right now. But what was your assessment of the first half?
1: Um. So they're kind of okay. So there are kind of two main things to take away from Real Madrid's approach overall. One is the high intensity. You kind of touched on it with Ceballos' off the ball movement. Obviously, it just wasn't him; it was everyone else. Um, there's that, and then there's our strategy of taking long shots in the second half. Uh, since you asked me about the first half, I'll I'll just talk about the high intensity. So I think because because that was really key. This wasn't the most tactical game. I I kind of felt it was... And and this is just how it is sometimes. We saw this lots of times under Zidane, where he just gets the team pumped up. You know, when when everyone thinks Madrid's back is against the wall, when their back is against the wall and they're facing a good opponent, um, you know, that's kind of where managers can kind of sense where their players stand and they can fire them up. And I I think that's what Solari did um, pre-match because we came out of the tunnel... And from the very first minute, we were winning every single loose ball. We won every 50-50 challenge, and we dominated possession. And, and that just kind of translated into a natural counter-pressing. And it, it wasn't super, super organized. Like The the counter-press has been rather bad under Solari um, for for most of this season just because of how disorganized we get and how just because like we're confused when we get into the final third. But there was just... So much energy that whenever we lost the ball, you'd see two to three players pressing the man on the ball, just swarming him. Everyone marking near options. It was really intense, really ball oriented, and it was just tons and tons of energy and and Sevilla just collapsed under it the first fifteen to twenty minutes. I mean, they were. I I mean, I don't know what they're expecting, but I th- clearly were not expecting that, and they just couldn't handle it at all. I thought. Ever Bonega had a really, really bad game. And if that happens for Sevilla, then you're in big trouble because he's their key player. And he played at the base of midfield um, against Madrid, and he was dispossessed five times throughout the game. Um, I think he was dispossessed early early for that Vinicius chance in the fifth minute, which was our best chance of that half, and which came from the counter-pressing. And then after, I'd say, 20 minutes flat... The intensity naturally faded away because that's just the limits of the human body, right? Like you can't play like that for 90 minutes. And two minutes later, that Escudero chance you mentioned, where they break past the counter press, that's the first time Sevilla managed to break past the counter press, and that's when they get a one versus one. After that, they get another chance where Andre Silva, you know, receives the ball into his feet, whips it out wide, and he he gets he gets on the end of a cross, and it's an easy save um, for Courtois. And that was pretty much it, really. That Venice and those two were really the only two significant chances of the first half. Our intensity kind of got, died down, and Sevilla, you know, they couldn't really make most of it because Sevilla were really sloppy. Even when the counter press wasn't on, like, they kept trying to play these vertical passes into Ben Yedder and Andre Silva, the two strikers. And either it would just be wayward. Like, Rabian Vasquez's. Um, passing accuracy, the two central midfielders ahead of Banega, I think it was, I think one of them was like 50-something percent, and the other one was like 65%. It was ridiculously bad. And part of that was just wayward passes, and then Ramos and Varane, which is brilliant, one versus one. So that was, I mean, that just created the recipe for a stalemate. Um, I think a lot of people may have thought probably deserved more in that first half, but we didn't really create much aside from that Vinicius chance Um what we had six shots in total. The rest were all from difficult angles. Our x barely reached like point four. So, and and I mean, Sevilla didn't create that much either, aside from the Escudero chance. So the first half was stalemate, and it was our intensity um versus Sevilla's inefficiency in possession.
0: Yeah, I think that, and I th- the way I worded it on Twitter was that it was kind of uneventful in the sense that neither team had really. Taken a hold of the game, but I thought Real Madrid were the slightly better team. Um, like you mentioned, the chances there weren't there weren't many in the first half. There was from us. Benzema had a header uh, in the first like I think ten minutes or something. Vinicius had two chances in the box. One of them being that great counter attack where Benz slips them through. Who, by the way, I think Benzema's passing wasn't great in this game. I think if it's a little bit better, the counters are a little bit better too. The other thing is like Ceballos was generally deep in the, in the first half. Uh, in the second half, the whole team kind of just hedges forward and they're, they're pinning Sevilla for long stretches, so everybody's higher at the pitch. In the first half, um, apart from Vinicius, there wasn't that much movement behind the lines. I don't think Vasquez had a great game. Um, and I, my solution was basically to either push Ceballos higher up the pitch or bring in Isco at halftime. But, you know, halftime subs are not that common. And I will say, um, I was pleasantly surprised by that second half. I thought, I didn't expect it. And that's, um, and I, I just kind of had a feeling that this would slip away somehow. If, especially if they don't score early. The second half, the uptick in the tempo. Because you mentioned that it, it, the intensity kind of dropped after 20 minutes. I was impressed that it came back. Yeah, I was impressed that right at halftime, essentially, I, the players came out of the tunnel and it was like, boom, like just pins via waves. They were just treading water, trying to try to basically get out of their half. And I thought the pressure was tremendous. The energy in the burn about was great. Like there were two, like there were so many instances from both Ramos and Ceballos in both the first and second half, but in particular the second half where, you know what? It's interesting because I don't know if you noticed that there was this play in the second half where Ramos stops a counter and he sprints um to keep the ball in play and the whole Bernabéu like just goes into a ruckus like just cheering him on and there was that that kind of stuff like fed into the team's energy and the funny thing about it is that it wasn't that hard of a ball to keep in play like it wasn't this extraordinary athletic feat that Ramos did but it really felt like the Bernabéu was just starving and desperate for something to cheer about Mm-hmm. Um, and they appreciated that so, effort, and they took that energy. I think, and they, the second half, like it, really fed into the team's kind of like offensive flow, and their shooting from distance, and their audacity and ambitious, I guess,ness if that's a word, um, to kind of create things in the final third. So I yeah, this was really an energy game. So I I think
1: Real Betis was was had do with Solari's tactics especially that first half we talked about how he he went I mean he he made some mistakes in the second half with his tactics but I think what Real Madrid did well had more to do with with Solari's you know his X's and O's where he was positioning players on on the field are excellent high press this game was really I think more about just motivating the squad and trying to trying to get them to just kind of put put a goal past the other team because the Difference in the second half was you mentioned the the intensity of return, but the main difference was the fact that Solari found sort of a way around our chance creation problems. No secret that our XG has fallen, you know, by a lot under Solari, just in comparison to Lopetegui. Not even under Zidane. We mentioned this over and over again. Um, in the first half we had that same problem, right? Only six shots. You know, Vinicius was the only one of any significant in quality um I think that was like that accounted for 90 percent of our xg in the first half because it was around 0.4 Vinicius's chance was about like 0.3 0.35 um and in this and and we and we know why right like we don't have many offensive mechanisms um you know there's there's not great attacking strategy um it seems like Solari is sometimes confused about how he wants the team to go forward so this time he's like forget all that I am not even gonna try to have some kind of like fancy attacking patterns here. What you're gonna do is every time you see the goal, you're gonna shoot the ball. We shot 16 times in that half. Nine came from outside the box. You know, um, one sec. I have it all written down here. There were so nine came from
0: outside the box. Nine. Seven. I see eleven.
1: Nine came from outside
0: the. I see eleven, but eleven. I'm going by my count. I'm counting it. Um, I don't see the numbers. so, so I, mean, I could be wrong.
1: So I have it. So this is just the second half. I think oh, overall we had 11 okay. shots.
0: Okay. Okay. This is a second half, okay. right? So
1: 16 shots in the second half, up from six in the first. Nine outside the box. Seven came inside the box. Three of the shots inside the box were blocked. One was that Vinicius attempt, I don't know if you remember from the left wing, like an impossible angle, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flew yeah way over He was actually the
0: generally okay at those shots, but that was a bad shot, yeah.
1: The other two were difficult Casemiro headers that he didn't really connect with, and that the, the last shot inside the box was that moderate chance at the end. So, uh, pretty, other than that moderate chance, all of our significant shots came from outside the box if you you could think about Ceballos hitting the bar and and that was just how we were going to break them down right that that was just the way Solari decided he said okay I've tried it over and over again to try for us to create high quality chances it's just not happening so just go out there and shoot on sight and it worked right Casemiro scored and even she actually said we deserved around one goal because we shot Enough times outside the box where the probabilities essentially said that, okay, you shot enough, eventually you wanted to go in, and it did with Casemiro. I I was disappointed and impressed at the same time with what Sevilla was doing. Disappointed because I felt they just decided, okay, we're going to play for a point here. We're not going to try to win. We're just going to sit in a deep block, and, you know, and just, we're not even going to try to play out, right? Because our counter press came back. As you mentioned, we had a new boost of energy. The Bernabeu was, was was giving us energy, you know, being a great tough man. And the strikers were completely disconnected. There was very little attempt to try to get play out from the back. It was just kind of these weird, long vertical passes that Ramos and Juan won easily. And Sevilla just sat in a deep block. I was impressed because their deep defending was actually really good. You know, the back three of Sevilla combined for... 20 clearances 15 interceptions and nine tackles and so uh, because and that was that was key from their side because other than shooting from outside the box our only other offensive strategy was to dribble at players which is why Vinicius has been so key under Solari because that's how we've relied on our chance creation in previous games and Vinicius was neutralized for the first time in a long time because of that not just him Benzema, Lucas Vazquez as well. They kept blowing up all our little one-two plane dribbling, dribbling actions. So that just left shots outside the box. Eventually, it did go in. You know, I thought that was that was fair. Sevilla decided to play too negative, and that's what they ended up conceding. And then after that, the game was over. Sevilla looked like their spirit was crushed. Um, Daniel Carico, one of their center backs, just horrible giveaway towards the end in extra time or sorry, injury time, Modric steals the ball and it's 2 Bit of a flattering scoreline, but I think we definitely deserved
0: enough to win 1-0. Uh, I actually couldn't believe the Sevilla's interception stats when I looked them after the game, because Carrizo, Navas, and Escudero combined for 22 interceptions. That's a, that's a really big number. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so I, but I think your sh- point about the shooting is really interesting. Um, and... You know, like when we when we sold Ronaldo, um, and I remember, Mike, remember Michael Michael Caley, Michael Kayley and I. I don't know if it was at the beginning of the season or before the season. I think it was just as the season was starting. Um, How to replace Ronaldo's shot volume because Ronaldo was shooting at an astronomical rate, and um, and Bale and without Bale and Mariano who are. To, like you're kind of your two next in line and, and there there's a huge drop-off even still um they're not in the team so then it becomes even more difficult to score this is not like <clears throat> the nba where like the more you shoot like uh, the more i guess shots will go in at some point uh, because mm-hmm. it, you kind of take what space is given to you but i i don't think when i was looking at the shots from this game I didn't really it did they didn't strike me as these low percentage shots. I like when you look at the XG map, they show up as low XG chances. But when you were watching the game, at least there was like a sight on goal. It wasn't like I don't think Sevilla did a great job of closing down the shots. Like when I saw Casemiro wind up, I was like, Yeah, that's a good shot. When I saw Ceballos strike and hit the crossbar, I was like, Yeah, that's a good shot. He can hit it, why not? Um and Real Madrid were able so to I... and, Yeah. Go ahead. So Well, so the
1: Casemiro one it was, especially because Bonega, who I said had a horrible game, was responsible for the Vinicius chance, gave away the ball for the Casemiro goal. Um, And so so I I would agree with that. I think Sevilla were focused on stopping high-quality chances, and and they didn't shut down long shots. Um, So I don't necessarily think it was the worst strategy, especially because I think it deserved to give us a goal. But I also think what influences the perspective that those were good shots was just because our... Our players shot them really well. All of our long shots looked like they were they were close to going in, or they would force the keeper to work in some way. And I, I mean, that's just the quality of the players we have, right? That's why I yeah. said before, all I want expect from Solari, and all I really want at this point is for him to do competent things, and then the quality of our players will take over and win us games. And that was the case versus Betis with that Ceballos free kick at the end, and that was the case today with Solari really pumping the team up and then and and, and giving them a like having that kind of bleed into our defensive strategy which was a lot of counter pressing and then just you know saying okay guys shoot and i believe in your quality um but i i I think we have to be careful about like the the fact that like good well-taken shots from outside the box will influence you know our perception and make us think that's like a 0.6 xg chance i mean i know that's not what you're saying but I think Real Madrid fans especially tend to look at a lot of long-range shots and say, well, those are great chances. And then when they look at the XG chart, they're shocked because, you know, they don't understand those going like two out of 100 times.
0: No, I mean, this is a general rule of thumb for football. Like you can have a bunch of corners and everyone's, and and the narrative will be like, oh, well, they're bound to score one of these corners. Like that's not how it works at all. It's at, Corners are actually not a high percentage thing. But they're really low percentage,, really, yeah, and I mean, these shots are technically two, but here's what I'll say all this uh, exactly what I did is and I when I was watching it live, I was like, yeah, I don't blame anyone for taking those shots. They're all good shots, and they hit them well, and we have good shooters in the midfield, as you mentioned, and um actually, this is like over the years we've been asking midfielders to shoot more because sometimes you'll see like someone like Casemiro have a sight on goal and like you just and you don't mind him taking that shot because his track record even going to porto is that he could hit those um but what i do like about it ohm is that if that shot doesn't go in there is a an element of chaos that's brought with it whether it's rebounds uh, whether it's keeping sevilla uh just kind of guessing if there's a diverse portfolio to the offense like i thought also in conjunction to those long shots we did a good job of of creating and getting behind them because, like, not all those not all of Ramsey's shots were outside the box, obviously, but also, like, they circulated possession well enough and switch play well enough and made some runs well enough that they were able to get some like high percentage cutbacks from the right and shots from like the top of the box or inside the box. Modric had two like pretty close to each other in the second half. One he first times a shot from a cutback, and he, um, Sevilla weren't really in a position to close him down. He shoots it over, and then another. The second one, he takes a touch and he shoots it from an acute angle, and it forces a corner. So, like, there was a bunch of things going on. So, I I think it was. To me, it's also important to note that it wasn't just like this shooting range well, from I mean, forty yards. You know, I
1: mean, I, I mean I, there was I, I a, okay
0: diversity to the offensive flow.
1: I mean, I disagree <laughs> with that mainly because. Other than the, that, the Modric cutback you were talking about and then his end goal, the other three shots inside the box were blocked and they were like Casemiro headers from like 15 yards out. And, I mean, XT doesn't rate Modric's chances that highly either, um, a bit higher than the ones outside the box, simply because ones from the edge of the box don't go in that, that much either, especially with the amount of players that were packed into the box. So, I mean, I, mean, I think those were there. Like I mean, we were kind of opportunistic about it, but I really think our plan was to come out and shoot from range. Because, I mean, other than those chances, like I can't really think of any any other notable chance inside the box, other than than the one after we scored when Modric steals it from the center back and dribbles in and and finishes. So I mean, I I, I don't know if there was really that great of a diversity.
0: Okay, I mean, I thought I I think I think we did well enough offensively um, well I mean I think they cre- did
1: well enough for sure because yeah. Sevilla only had Sevilla only had what three or four shots
0: yeah Sevilla really I mean, had nothing going the other way and the second half they really had nothing and like nothing the first I, I am surprised at that I thought the second half we would see more chances from them the second half they really had nothing um, <clears throat> I really can't remember anything noteworthy from them uh, and, and so- just going back through my notes it kind of confirms that so,
1: I, I mean, I just want to be clear. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, we deserve to lose or anything. Like, I'm, I I, think we deserve to win. I just think, see, I, and, and this is not just, like, hindsight bias looking at the charts. Like, you can go back and look at my tweets. In, in, in the second half, I said Madrid fans are going to be surprised when they look at the XG chart. It's just that I've come to expect, like, because, I, I don't know, I spent a lot of time looking at these things. I, I kind of know now when, I, when I'm when i looking at a shot from outside the box or from a difficult angle um, or just inside the box, I know that that rarely goes in. And, I mean, that's just how it's going to be. And, you know what, that's fine in, in this type of game, especially because I think Sevilla were defending so well. Um, and also because if you're a coach who struggles to create high-quality chances – you know, which is a very difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of good offensive tactics. Then, you know, don't don't keep trying to do it if it's not working. Find something else. And we have good long-range shooters. And if we could create enough volume and our defense is good enough, then it works. And that was the case today. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch upon, because you said we were um, circulating the ball well and stuff. I, I agree with that. Um, I think... I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, our positive attitude, the fact that we were constantly retaining possession. Um, Modric, best game in a long while, back-to-back yeah. really good game. One against Betis, another one today. I think that played a big role because it looked like he was trying to take over. And also, I mean, I praised Sevilla's def- defense. But one thing I could I think they could have done better was abandon that five three two shape that they kept on defense because it ceded the wings. We could keep overloading their wing backs, and because it, it was two versus one, right? Like they didn't have anyone coming out from from the striker positions to come wide. So they only had three in the middle. And they had five at the back. So, I mean, you can just look at how the numbers match up. I think they needed to drop one of Andre Silva or, or Ben Yedder to be able to cover that. And they didn't do that. And I think that was part of the reason that, you know, we dom- we dominated possession. So there were little things there. But at the end of the day, I think we deserved it. We, we clearly deserved to win.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it, it was kind of hard to explain why Sevilla looked the way they did at times I think we should get some credit for that but I would also say I was surprised um Machin said after the game that his team they just didn't have the energy and they're out of energy at this point I don't know what that means exactly I don't know if he <clears throat> but um, I, think- well, I think I think he's saying they're burned out because so
1: if you go look back at their form table they've won only I mean this is prior to the Madrid game they only won one game in their last 5
0: yeah, um, they dropped out. that
1: was the Copa, the, the Copa versus Athletic Bilbao. If you include three previously games, they only won one more game. I see the thing with Machine's style is it's like very like just you only need to see the game he lost at, at the Sanchez Pisuan. It's
0: yeah. very
1: high intensity, not yeah. just on defense, but the way they attack. And I don't know if he hasn't rotated or enough. I kind of hadn't paid attention to Sevilla until like I I started looking at how. I started, like, looking at stuff before the game to see how Real Madrid would, would perform. And I think he's right when he says it's been an energy drop-off. Um, not to take credit away
0: from Madrid, who clearly outplayed their opponent. Um, do you have any other notes from this game that you want to share before we move to questions?
1: Um, I kind of wanted to just go through... Luka Modric's stats for the game because it I think it did, you know, a good job of talking about how, what an all-around performance it was. So 115 touches, second most in the team. Sabayas had the most, 129. Four shots, obviously that one goal. Four key passes, two aerial duels won. Um, he had three dribbles. Um, he also had seven out of nine long balls. And on defense, four tackles, two interceptions. So, I mean, it was just the all-around <coughs> Modric that we've, co- we've become used to over the past, really, ever since the 2014 season. And we kind of predicted, I think, Kian, in one of the very early pods, that the real Modric wouldn't be back until around January. And I think we are seeing the real Modric. So I think mean, we can pat ourselves on the ourselves on the back for that one because i think you know he has i think i think he has he has finally come back to to somewhat to some semblance of his old form and it's not that much of a surprise really because that's just what it's going to be when you drive yourself into the ground for your club and then do that for your country without any breaks whatsoever that's just that's just how the human body works like there there are limits to
0: what humans can achieve I don't think it was that hard to predict that Real Madrid's players would eventually find some kind of individual form. um, Right. Because this is also like something we know based on recent memory and what happens in the springtime. Um, Or like basically as the season progresses and how they all kind of find their feet. I think Ramos even like last night was great. He hasn't had a good season. Um, Yeah, Ramos and
1: Varane were both very good.
0: Yeah, Varane's another one who was like sleepwalking early on and looks okay now. Um, so I don't I don't think it was that hard to predict. Like one person, another one I'd be worried about a little bit is Marcelo, but I'm also not that worried about him. Um, I think he I, I wrote a column about you know one whole bullet point was about his his regression this season, not not necessarily decline, but just kind of like his his off form and why he isn't he isn't playing well. Um, I don't I don't know if I have many other notes that won't come up on the questions, so uh, I say move to questions. So. These questions are all from our patrons. Patreon.com slash ManagingMadrid is where you go to pledge. You can get different rewards, You get guaranteed responses to your questions. You can get access to bonus shows, our loan tracker podcast, our midweek shows, and other stuff. First patron, some of these are just uh, statements, comments, which we'll just read through. Um, First one is from Sajid Reyes. He says, as a Madrid fan of now 17 years, who has endured our dark years and watched us triumph and been through it all, And having made an 11K journey um, for four days just to watch our team play, I've never been this conflicted about our club's current situation. To the extent where I don't even mind Mourinho replacing Solari, even though I immensely dislike him. Everything about Solari seems so toxic, you can somewhat compare it to what Diego Lorin feels with the current Barca team. Is it the Isco situation? Is it the fact that Marcelo is now becoming the new victim of Solari's vicious cycle of sidelining our most important uh, players? Is it almost unwatchable football he's dished out and how he's continually saved by last minute screamers? Is it the willingness to prolong a personal issue with key players and compromise on the quality of the team even when we played in, when players have been injured? Is it the lower attendance? Is it Solari's willingness to accept draws as a great thing for a club of our stature and worst of all, has this rubbed off on our fans to the extent that the notoriously hostile Burnabout Stadium now reminisces an acceptance of mediocrity? Being thrilled about having 25 percent possession against Betis, as if they are a dynastic Barca, Barca team. Uh, I missed the second half of the Sevilla game, and I just I read I read that it was the best match of the season. Seriously, is that our expect lower expectations talking? Well, too bad you missed it, Sajid, because it was a really great half. Um, I don't I don't. There's a lot here that I think that you and I just probably don't agree with. But a lot of the stuff we've already talked about the East Coast thing, and um, which, by the way, like if. I, th- I think that the statement, Solari's willingness to prolong a personal issue with key players, is a huge assumption. It's assuming that he has a personal issue with anyone. Um, it certainly doesn't have a personal issue with Marcelo, who has been out of form. And Regulon was fantastic, I think, against Sevilla. We didn't really talk about him. He had one really bad touch in the first half. Other than that, he was a really good two-way presence. Um, the Nacho was the latest player who came out and said, by the way, that Solari is on Isco's side and Isco just needs to work hard. He's, it's, I think we have enough to say that we, first of all, we don't really know enough about the situation. Second of all, I, I wouldn't consider it toxic. Solari is a well respected person. You can call him maybe a naive tactician, inexperienced one, not even a great coach or a good coach, but toxic, I don't think is the right word to use in this situation. Um, there's, uh, is there anything you want to touch on um in this, in this, statement?
1: Yeah, so I mean, one like I mean, I'm just kind of sick of talking about the Isco thing. Like, I mean, I think now yeah, no more Isco later, things. Like that's it. I think we're done for the year. Right. Like this is the last. Unless some really new information comes out. Like I, I'm not talking about this anymore. I I mean this is the last I'm gonna say about it. And one, I, I think it's a shame that we can't make use of our most creative attacker. But so many players have come out now and said, you know, Solari backs Isco. He just needs to work harder. And, like, those exact words, he needs to work harder, that I think, I mean, it's on Isco now. If he wants to get back on the team, it's on him. And, I mean, that's the last thing I'm going to say. But, I mean, I have zero interest in talking about this issue anymore because we've been talking about it for, like, at least the past month. Um, So... One point I think here that I think Saji touches upon that has some validity is when he says, is that just our lower expectations talking in reference to the Sevilla game? I think you should go back and rewatch it because it was a fun half. Like Hian said, it was a good half. Um, but on Twitter, I did see people say, quote-unquote, this was a top-class performance, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I don't know if i go that far. But at this point, I don't know if you can look at anything without looking at it in a relative sense. I mean, this season is what it is. It's a, it's kind of a dead season. And all we want at this point is to secure the top four, you know, give youth players a chance, develop players, go as far as we can in the Champions League, and then reassess and and look to launch a much better campaign next season. And in that respect, this was, this was a very good game, you know, compared to even last season where we struggled in the league. I I don't think you could call it top class. Like, I mean, shooting enough to accrue, you know, an XG of one is not, you know, mind blowing. But we held Sevilla to three to four shots, and we clearly deserved to win. Like, despite the fact that it wasn't a blistering offensive performance, there was no doubt in my mind as to which team deserved to win. And at this point. I mean, this is all we this is all we want. This is all I expect. And if we can replicate similar types of, of performances throughout the rest of the season, I think we're I think we're pretty safe to enter top four. And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of how you have to look at it. If you if we're going to keep comparing everything to the glory years, it's it's not going to look so great. But we're at a different stage now, and relative to the way we've been performing, I'd say this was a
0: very very good improvement over what we've been seeing. It's the expectations thing is interesting because even after the game we were sitting with some journalists and talking about this and and some of them were saying this is the best Real Madrid I've looked all season. And I and I what I, my comment was possibly I like someone brought up Roma and I said, Yeah, Roma was good but I also think Roma wasn't as good as we thought they were. Like they really were horrendous that game. There's that side of it. So this might be I think if Valencia first half maybe continues into the second half, maybe that one takes the cake. But then my comment essentially was that our expectations are just low, man. Like that's even like Ramos chasing that ball into the play. That reaction to that was incredible to me because I felt like this is what we're clinging and and that's I don't blame the fans for that. Like I don't like I because I was like you. They're just desperate. To cling to something to be able to cheer about to fuel the team because um, no mm-hmm. one likes no one likes to have like low energy low morale, so like anything and our standards are low yeah that's true, and I think that was something like you know i I definitely pointed out it was a good performance, but this is just in another in an, in the sixteen seventeen season a performance like this probably just blends in into another game um but last season there was probably nothing really to note at this point either was there i don't think there was um so like in that sense if maybe if it's a sign if the player's running it to to form great um but it also may not be like i think we also have to be careful to to the fact that this may also like come crashing down next week i was looking at i was look trying to like figure out my next trip schedule and I was like looking at the schedule. I was like my God, March is, woof. There go you have Barca, and then three days later you have Ajax. You know, it's very possible that <laughs> by the end of that week we're all like, okay, well, there's always next year. Like I don't know. It just this is our expectations right now, and we're clinging to this, and and that's kind of the state we're in right now. Vinod Baratula says. Second half of the game was really good. Ferdinand predicted 2-0 at halftime. Do you guys think that if we start the games the same way we approach them the second half versus Sevilla, we could bring more goals and more victories going forward?
1: So, it, I mean, it really depends. Because um, whenever we want to look at how do you transfer a performance in one game to another, you're, you're already looking at a variety of factors and you kind of have to break it down, right? You have to first ask, what was the opposition doing? What did they look like? Um, and then you have to ask, what was our strategy? Who were the players on the field? And and then kind of look to then ask those same questions again for whatever opponent you're looking at next. That's kind of what I did with the Real Betis game where where a lot of people were saying, I think we need to go with the three five two going forward. You know, we should play however we played that game, and I kind of said, difficult, right? I mean we couldn't have played that way, the Sevilla game, because we dominated possession this time. We didn't really have a chance to high press um, you know, with you know, Sevilla pressing, right? Counter pressing, high press—two different things. Counter press is when you immediately lose the ball. High press is when you know the other team has a t- has a chance to set up in in slow possession and then you attack them. So it was two totally different games. Becky's approach wouldn't have worked. So as for this game, I I think it depends. So one, will a team allow us to get that kind of stance that close to goal? Like, will they will they see that much territory? And will they decline to close down long shots like Keon was mentioning? Which is why, even though they were low percentage, it made sense for our players to take those shots. I mean, I don't know. I I, I, I do not think, especially in away games, um, that teams will sit that deep. But if we if we circulate the ball as well as we did, then perhaps they they see long shots to us like that because that was what that was the difference. That one was our intensity. Two was the long shots. I mean, that also depends on how the team sets up defensively. As I mentioned, with their five-three-two structure, Sevilla just seeded the wings, and they and they and they did that so they could pack the center of the pitch and pack the box. Well, I mean, versus been, Ajax, yeah. I don't. So so Ajax, that's I mean, that's not going to happen. Versus Barcelona, that's not going to happen. Versus Atletico Madrid, it might happen. Um, though I think they do a better job of closing down. I mean, it's really hard to say. I think the long shots can transfer if we if we just ask players to shoot on site. But the intensity is hard because you can't go into every game and get your players that insanely pumped up. They just swarm the opposition, just overwhelm them through sheer effort and energy. Like, we're not going to see constant repeats of that. It's it's going to have to be more tactical going forward. So, I mean, I don't know. It. I mean, it depends probably not against like opponents like Ajax and Barca where they're 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 going to try to have more of the ball.
0: <laughs> well, we've been Real Madrid fans long enough to know that you get like a multitude of different looks against different opponents. And I think why Zidane was so successful um was his versatility because even I mean even in this season like you there are teams you'd expect that would bunker up and like, I didn't expect Sevilla to play like this, one. I didn't expect Abar and Huesca to press us the way they did. I thought they would bunker up, too. Um, but that's why I really think Solari absolutely needs to figure out how to get out of a press. Sevilla didn't test us in this game. They should have. If I'm matching, I would have. Because <laughs> the blueprint is essentially there for all to see. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, But there are going to be teams who will absolutely do that. And... Realm hasn't looked good coming out of a press. Like they need to figure that part out. Um, I mean, I don't think I don't think Sevilla could have pressed us. Mainly just going off
1: like Machine's comments if they had no energy. I mean, perhaps that's why they just decided to cede possession and play for a point because he's burned the team out. Um, maybe I mean maybe it would have been worse for them. I don't know, but I I think that's kind of why they decided not to test us in that way.
0: Uh, Brendan Power says. This is the best game of the Solari era. The team looked great. Defense looked good. Vinicius looked amazing against a great defense. It was a well-deserved win. If they can play like this, they'll be a tough team to beat. Ceballos was an animal. I love his work rate, especially on the left in comparison to Tony Kroos, who really doesn't track back as much as he should. Good game all around. Um, Brennan also has another question, which we'll get to shortly. Sad Omar says, I wanted to know your guys' opinions of interference from the higher-ups to protect players who are considered valuable to the team. For example, how things went between Zizou and Bale, as well as Solari and Isco currently. Why must Isco be sacrificed at the altar if Solari, the manager, is as good as gone this summer anyways? I consider our bearded, bandy-legged beauty more important than appeasing a mediocre manager. If this was Zizou, I'd side with him, but Solari hasn't indicated anything that would um warrant a hands-off approach from the president um so so i mean i I don't know kind of right after go ahead um because yeah yeah you go Go first Uh,
1: (laughs) so i mean right after we said we don't want to answer any isco questions um we get one but okay so i mean we've kind of explained the isco thing um As for the interference of the higher-ups, that's actually a complicated question because I go back and forth on this because I see very clear instances like now where the coach is allowed to do his own thing, but there have also been tons of anecdotes by former managers. Well, I mean, they're pretty clear that they didn't always have full control. Like Benitez was one of those players who said... (laughs) you know I, I mean he i mean he didn't say he he was one of the people that didn't say directly he was kind of like hinting that there's a little too much involvement pellegrini was far more direct saying i couldn't play the way i wanted to a lot of times because i needed to play these guys um it ancelotti didn't say that as much but kaká had an interview where he where he talked with ancelotti when when he arrived and and ancelotti said i mean i'd kind of like to play you it's the deal that we've signed lots of young Spanish talent and they're they're just going to have to be ahead of you. I don't know whether he was saying that to appease Kaka because, I mean, Kaka was not that good anymore anyway and that might have just been Angela's way of dealing with it but I think it's clear that at certain points there is interference but we don't know know exactly how that works because we know Mourinho had total control because that's what Mourinho demanded and we also know Zidane kind of had the aura and the, the star power to, to
0: have greater control. But, I mean, even, I I, I don't know how much, so it, it's kind of difficult to say. So these are, like, in the current situation, we only know so much, right? And I would say, um, in theory, whether, whatever is happening behind the scenes at Real Madrid just we, whatever, whatever is happening, in theory, you should let your coach do what he wants, even if you have a different opinion. Because you want to you know, delegate football matters to someone who's qualified to do so. I will say, I don't think in the last two years or so that this idea... I'd say, actually, since Zidane took over until now, I don't think there's just been this behind-the-scenes aura of play this player or that player. <clears throat> because if there was, we would have seen, you know, Bale play a lot more than he did last season. We would have seen the same with James under Zidane. And this season, uh, I don't think it's like Real Madrid has that many options off the bench anyway. Um, it doesn't strike me as it, that, that there is any interference in this situation. And I think the problem is sad that if you, while I think it's true that Solari is an interim manager and the board probably has, doesn't have the intention of keeping you mm-hmm. around in the summertime. <clears throat> you still have to let him implement what he's doing in the mm-hmm. time he's here. That, that's the thing. <clears throat> that's just how it, right. Just how it works. Right, if you
1: undermine the man That's why we gave him a three-year contract, even though we probably don't intend to stay three years. You can't come out... I mean, if if the board interfered to say Isco would start, the players would know. And that just erodes respect and authority. And, and Solari has a lot of respect in the dressing room, relative the rounder managers, I think that's clear, especially because most of the players seem to have sided with Solari on the, uh, in the Isco situation. Now, if the board comes in and takes her, I mean that just road's respect, and you possibly have a Benita situation where he eventually is ousted because the players simply didn't respect him. So, I mean you can't do that whether you agree with it or not because it's going to blow up what whatever's happening in the middle of the season. And I wouldn't say top four is guaranteed at this point. I think if we continue to put in. Competent performances like we have in the past, years, yes, but it's not a giving, and I think the board realizes
0: that, and they're just they're just hoping that Solari is going to take us over the line. Brendan Powers uh, wants to know our opinion on a false nine <coughs> type type scheme. And this is the lineup he wants to know our thoughts on: Vinicius, Bale, Benzema up top, Isco, Cruz, Modric. uh or sorry, Vinicius, Bale, and. Benzema or Isco up front, Cruz Modric and Case, or Jorente, um as the double as the defensive midfielder, and then Marcelo, Sergio Ramos, Varane, Carvajal. <clears throat> I mean, we, I will say like we kind of already played a rendition of this since Mariano has barely played because Benzema is essentially a false nine. I'd say at this point, like I, I don't, I don't think he's he plays a role that much different. He drifts back, he makes, he drops deep to link up play. Um, he instigates counters. He wins the ball, you know, deep up the deeper in, in deeper positions, high up the pitch. He roams. He goes to the left. Although he's probably been doing that a little bit Benzema's, less lately. But
1: Benzema's uh, been a false sign since the Zidane era, especially because with yeah. Zidane we had Casemiro roaming up, Madras cross deep, and we always lacked presence between the lines. That. I mean that's why Zidane kept playing Benzema over and over again. When people said, "I want Alvaro Morata to start," why aren't you signing another striker? Where's Aubameyang? Because Zidane's system, no matter how poorly Benz was playing and shooting, and even if he wasn't playing especially well with his leg up duties, he was always a false diamond under Zidane, and that's why he always started. So, I mean, when I, I there's a really interesting discussion like on Twitter that like if you're under five ten. And you haven't played as a striker for most of your career and you're played up top, you're automatically called a false nine. Whether you play, you're actually playing those duties or not. And I think it's become a very ambiguous term that doesn't have a lot of meaning anymore because people just don't seem to know what it is. Um, Like. Eden Hazard when he when he's playing up top for Chelsea is called a false nine. Trees Mertens for Napoli was called a false nine, even though he would never play the duties of a false nine. And Benzema has rarely been called it because he's over six foot. You know, he, he's kind of a big guy. But I mean yeah, Benzema's a false nine. If we're gonna play with the false nine, which we are, then Benzema's my first choice.
0: Um two more and then I don't know if my voice survives beyond that. I don't know what's happening. I have like a <laughs> lump in my throat. I'm getting emotional talking about all this Solari stuff.
1: The Sevilla but, game has just—I yeah, mean, you just—you just can't
0: take the victory. <coughs> um, Rafael Serbia says. At this point, for as much as I hated Mu, who else would take him right now? No questions asked to replace Solari. God knows I would. I would not. I don't do know that. if I, I don't think I would either.
1: <clears throat> mainly because, like... I mean, w- what is the point, right? Like, I just... I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, it. I guess it kind of depends on how much you rate Mourinho. I mean, the man has really fallen off. Like, he just... His very presence seems to anger dressing rooms and management, and he's just... I mean, he's just toxic at this point. Um... Unless we can have, like, an actual... I mean, like, people are complaining about Isco and Solari. or Mourinho comes in and plays, you know, Gareth Bale at left-back. And, like, I mean, like, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I mean, I'm not that happy with Solari. I mean, I've been clear about that. But if we can replicate these kinds of performances, which aren't spectacular but are solid then we're making top four. I mean, unless you find a manager that can get us to challenge for the league title at this point, which we theoretically still could if we go on a really good run. I mean, it's what is the point of change, right? Because all, all
0: we're looking for at this point is top four. So I think <clears throat> my true feelings about Mourinho are that I have no interest in bringing the guy back the only reason you think about it is because the state that the club is in now and Solari hasn't been good. Um, although Solari has results. <clears throat> and um, he's had some some moments where we're like, oh, that was good. Um, like Sevilla, first half <laughs> against Betis, first half against Valencia, um, maybe second one half more somewhere. Um, Sevilla, second half. Yeah, Sevilla, second half. <clears throat> I think... I think with Mourinho, it could. I honestly would not know what the verdict would, what the outcome would be. But I think it could go horribly wrong. Like he could take this rock bottom team and somehow dig it and put it beneath the earth, under like layers of like molten lava, and like, and completely destroy it. Or there's like a part of me that thinks that he could actually do the opposite, go to the opposite extreme, and actually do really well, make a run for the league title somehow, like, getting really far in the Champions League, possibly wouldn't. There's, like, that... I have no idea how it would turn out, but I think the reason... And the only reason, by the way, I would, like, consider that it might turn out well is not because of his track record in the last two, three years. It would be only because I just have fond memories of what he did with us in 2012, like, those counter, that counter attacking machine. And if he could, like, build something of that similar thing with the players he has but the problem he has his team hasn't been good defensively even though he's tried to play defensive the counter-attacking hasn't looked good we didn't look good with United and I think ultimately the reason you don't do it Om is the reason you mentioned which is essentially that what's the point you're not going to win the league you're not going to win the Champions League this year like I'm sorry you're probably not and (laughs) if 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 there's a way that you can get someone you really want in the summertime, just wait instead of committing to another massive contract because that's what he would be. And here's here's another issue. For Mourinho to be an interim manager,
1: he needs to see himself in that kind of role, right? Like Mourinho, it's pretty clear, like, the way he holds up number three at every single goddamn press conference and after he loses, reminding everyone that he's won all these league titles, he doesn't see himself as an interim manager. He still sees himself as a world-class manager, probably the greatest of all time, still the best around, whose players let him down, whose board didn't support him. If he's coming to Madrid, he's going to want to have A long-term contract he's not going to come in and just tie with a team over that's beneath him at the moment um and you want that i mean i don't think very few people are i think i i can understand why people would want marini to take over for the rest of the season but i think it would be a very very hard sell to say he comes in and then He's just our manager until the point when he blows everything up. Like, that would be probably the only way to get hold of him, and that's just absolutely not worth it. Now, if Mourinho's mindset changes, I mean, he understands that, you know, the game has changed, move past him a little bit. He needs to adjust, maybe loses a little bit of that arrogance, which served him so well when he was on top of the game. You know what? I might just go back. But, I mean,. The biggest problem at this point is just the toxicity and the fact that he thinks it's everyone is trying to like undermine his career, like his own players, everyone. Like we just can't have that. Like I, I mean, I I don't know what, to, what else to say. Like I, I understand, but I kind it kind of shows where we are in the season that we're looking to Mourinho to come save us.
0: Last one from Sheik Hatir, a Karbachal question. Shea says, because of the evil grad school, I haven't watched as many Madrid games as I'd otherwise liked to. Carvajal just turned 27, and he has the potential to be the greatest of all time in his own position, but he hasn't been living up to that standard, or at least hasn't until this season. Or at least hadn't until this season. During Ancelotti's and Zizu's first seasons, he was doing extraordinary. How has he been this season? If not very good, how can we get him there, given that he's probably at the peak age to balance his body with his maturity?
1: I mean, he's he's
0: been all right. I mean, it,
1: this is hard. It's, it's hard for any player because this is just kind of a dead season. Like, I don't know really how to where everyone else, where everywhere, everyone stands when everyone's numbers have taken a huge hit because as a collective, we're not performing well. The tactics have been bad. Like, I think versus, you know, I think the past couple of games he's been all right you know, especially defensively, Betis, he was he was pretty good. Sevilla, you know, he was solid. But like that that's the thing with Bale. Like a lot of people ask me, you still have faith in Bale. I mean, I don't know, right? Like the season kept getting worse and we haven't really seen an uptick, right? Like players just don't perform in a vacuum. There's the system around them. There's other players playing well. And when it's a season like this I mean I just don't know what to say. I, I don't really know how good they are at the moment because the the conditions within which they're performing a lot I mean it's just hard to separate. I mean if you think about the guys that have stood out, it's like Vinicius and Benzema and I can't really think of any other guys, especially attackers, just because of how impotent our offense has
0: been this season, you know,
1: influenced by tactical factors.
0: Um there's been a lot of players that have formed this season. <clears throat> um, but I will say, well, I don't think Carvajal is like among the stand-up performers, um, which has a very short list of like two to three players, in my opinion, I think he's been, relative to like his dip in form last season, I think he's looked better this season. I think he's on the right path. I think he's, he's even when he hasn't been good offensively, like he's usually done the right things defensively. I think he's been good defensively this season. Um I think he maybe needs to show us a bit more attack but I think also the wing backs under Solari seem to be kind of in this more conservative mode I don't know Um although that may not be See, true See that's that's the, why it's
1: kind of
0: Well I was just going to say it may not be true also because Odriozola um had like a very great game a few games ago I can't even remember was it a Copa game where he kept on getting in behind the defense Um but, mm-hmm. yeah please go ahead
1: so, so, I mean, so, that's why I'm saying it's hard, right? Because Carvajal, you are right. It does look like he's become a bit more solid, especially on defense, but his offensive numbers have taken a huge hit. Like, his key passes are down from, um, basically, I'm looking at all numbers in the 14-15 season. Um, I mean, it's basically at that point, you know, 14-15, he had 1.19 key passes per 90, and this season he has 1.21 and I think before 17-18 we all kind of acknowledge 14-15 was Carvajal's down season if you look at and if that's not good enough for you and you want to know the quality of those chances you can look at expected assist figures I mean even lower than 14-15 this is just flat out the lowest he's ever had it's 0.1 xa per 90 down from 0.17 last season 0.16 the season before 0.2 before that and 14-15 was 0.11 so it, I mean, it's just down all across the board, yet at the same time, it looks a little better. Is that because we're looking at it relative to other players? Is that because of defense? It's just so hard to tell because when everyone is performing poorly at the same time, I mean, it's not just up to the players, obviously, right? There's other factors influencing performance. So, I mean, I don't know. It's really just kind of a point of riding riding out the season, you know, and then reevaluating everything next year when we have to prepare better and go again. But I mean, at this point, other than like Vinicius Jr. I don't really have a clear idea of where people's development is heading and how good they are at the moment.
0: Um, I think this is a good place to wrap it up, Om. Do you have anything to plug? I mean, I think we do, but do you have anything to plug before I wrap it up? No. No, it's just the School of Madrid stuff, which I'm guessing you're going to mention. Well, I was, yeah, I mean, we, Om and I, uh, and uh, our other uh, occasional writer for Managing Madrid, but are also a video producer, Nagib Anam, is, <clears throat> uh, we, we obviously do the School of Real Madrid stuff. We've, we're in our, like, I don't know, maybe our second month now, I lost track of time. But we're releasing a video on why <laughs> Real Madrid hasn't, didn't sign a striker um, in the summer. So that'll be dropping this week. Um, I wrote a column um, with some early 2019 observations until now from Real Madrid's players and systems and tactics that's on the site. Um, I think that's it for now. Um, if you're not a patron, make sure you become a patron. Because we have our Loan Tracker podcast coming up Tuesday. <clears throat> and other fun stuff. So, until next time. ha Madrid. Mari. Madrid.